Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here comes the binge. Hey everybody, welcome to The Binge, in which a couple of homos review the latest movie theater releases. I am Jason Leroy. And I'm Rebecca Larte, and today we have for you three movies. The Spy Who Dumped Me, Scotty, and The Secret History of Hollywood, and Good Manners. And as always, we're going to review these movies on a three-tiered scale, with binge it being our highest rating. Consume in moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh, and send it back means... Life's too short for that mess. Jason, what's up with you? It's been a minute. It has. Thank you for asking. Mm-hmm. And uh, apologies to our listeners that we skipped last week. We did have an episode queued up to do, mm-hmm. in which we are going to review Mission Impossible Fallout. Uh, we're going to review um, some other boring movies. Mm-hmm. Um, can't remember what those ones were, though. There was at least one um, that I know that you did watch, but we might talk about that a bit later. Mm-hmm. Uh, we wa- it was, um, was it, no, Eighth Grade was the one we did. Yeah, we did that. Um, I don't remember now. Huh. Well, they were small and boring. Mm-hmm. Um, and Mission Impossible probably would have been the pick of the week, uh, which would have rendered the smaller films that we were then going to be criticizing, it would have seemed almost mean. Mm, yeah um and we don't like being mean no so we decided to not do that um mission possible fallout as i'm sure many of you know by now is indeed quite a fine action film so that would have been a binge it from me but in terms of what's up with me well so this past weekend i had some house guests come up from la uh, I won't name them because the story I'm about to tell is probably somewhat incriminating. Mm. Um, but I had some friends come up from L.A. Uh, for uh, a festival called the Dory Alley Street Fair. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. Up you, your alley. Up your alley. Up your alley, mm. jerk. <laughs> um, Not so, to be confused with the Folsom Street Fair. No, no. But it is quite similar to the Folsom Street Fair. So for those of you who don't know, the Dory Alley Street Fair is um, is a small, intense gathering mm. Of um of queer fetish enthusiasts, uh, not people whose fetish is queerness per se, uh, but frequently uh, it's queer people who are into a variety of fetishes and gear and things like that. It takes over um sort of a few blocks of this alley called Dory. Um, not to be confused with the Ellen DeGeneres voiced uh, fish. Mm. Not that Dory. Um, different Dory entirely, although <laughs> pictures of Ellen everywhere for reasons mm, I don't well, understand. That's a fetish. Unofficial mascot. That old fish fetish. <laughs> so, uh, so there's this alley, see? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, lots of raunchy stuff goes on. So I'd been in LA a few months ago talking to a friend of mine and, um, and, uh, he and, uh, and his BF were like, oh, well, we've been wanting to get to San Francisco and, and, oh, we should go up for Dory Alley. And it was like one of those drunk things where you're all sitting around a bar and it's like, oh, you should totally go. Mm-hmm. You can stay with me. And, um, and, and they held me to it. And, uh, so, which, you know, I mean, I, I do usually, I do always mean that. Um, it's just that then when the time comes for people to actually get here, I am overwhelmed with anxiety mm-hmm. and it does not leave my body until they are gone. Um, that is never the fault of my guests. That is nearly my own neuroses mm-hmm. that is triggered by having house guests. So uh, so these guests show up and I'm thinking, okay, cool. We'll just have like a chill weekend of, you know, go out to some brunches and, you know, and like walk around and watch some movies or something and, you know, take it easy. And so, but then uh, once they're both here, uh, they start to like outline their plans for Sunday in particular, which is the day of the festival. 
And because um, we had a brunch planned with uh, with our friend Andrew. Mm. Um, and then they're like, oh, well, actually, you know, our plan is to um, be out of the house by like 1030 in the morning because the festival starts at 11. And, you know, and we need to go to our friend's house and like do a bunch of ketamine and then go out to the festival. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, I didn't know that ketamine was something that people were still doing. Uh, that's the horse tranquilizer. It is. And um, horses are a fetish. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it seems really on point. You know. The old vet fetish. Mm-hmm. There is that. Um, so, it could just be a real commitment to the fetish mm-hmm, to be mm-hmm. like, I will do everything like a horse today. I will and, eat like a horse. Right. I will be hung like one. And mm-hmm. I will also take their tranquilizers. Mm-hmm. It's possible. Um, and uh, And so, and just like that, I was scared off. I got scared off of my own plans because I was like, because it was like, a, I don't know, like the fact that it was a Sunday in particular, I'm like, I have to go to work tomorrow. Like I'm going <laughs> to spend the whole day doing drugs in public. And so I, so we spent this Saturday just sort of having a, a, the more, the day that I was planning for us to have mm-hmm. um, of just kind of like going to brunch and like walking around and, you know, doing a bit of shopping, coming back here, watching the Whitney Houston documentary. That was my best effort to take the wind out of their sails, to show them the Whitney Houston documentary and just, oh, yeah. and just crush them so that they would have no life left and we could just relax. Um, and yet still, I did not stop them. <laughs> and that night they went out to um, to their first of several pervert parties uh, for the weekend. Um, one called Sneaks, um, which... Uh, where you sneak ketamine is where... into your drink before you walk in. <laughs> um, and uh, it's like a, a sporty fetish gear and sneakers party. Oh, so a bunch of like uh, singlets? Singlets, jock straps, things like that, mm-hmm. and sneakers. And, uh, yeah, and lots of ketamine, molly, and coke, and all those things. Mm-hmm. And um, and so they didn't get back from that until 3.30 in the morning, and then they would go to the thing, and then they left at like 12.30 noon on Sunday, and literally didn't come back until 12.30 a.m., Whole place smelled like dick. It was real. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> real scene. What is ketamine, though? Is it like a? So it is. It is a, an animal tranquilizer. I believe so. Yeah, I don't know what's ha- what what they what the drug makers do when they take the horse tranquilizer, and yeah. then I don't know if there's any modifications made to it. Mm. If anyone listening and knows, then please tell us. I'm curious. Um, I myself have not done it, uh, so I I don't know. Um, I've 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 heard a lot of narratives about mm. about the effect it takes. Sounds like a sounds like a tough thing. Sounds like a real downer. It does. Um and so basically I was I just chose to just stay home. <laughs> so I just like I was like, Oh, okay, well no, I'm not gonna do that. Uh and uh, they're like, Oh well no, but you're coming out with us. I'm just like mm. Maybe I'll meet up with you later. <laughs> because I don't know if I'm just like so weak. I'm just like, I would say yes. I would say yes. Um, mm. I don't know what it is, but I just like wouldn't go out. I was like, no, I'm not going to this thing. I'm not going to go like, like, and we saw like the new BF's friends at Mr. S Leather the day before while they were stocking up on gear. That's when I was trying to get the sense of like, oh, you guys are very serious about this. Oh, wow. Uh, you guys are going to like rage. And I'm not a rager. And, uh, and so I was, I was daunted. And, um, and, uh, yeah. And then they were like, well, yeah, then we're going to all meet up down and walk around the festival. It'd be great. And, da, 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 da. and, um, and I wound up like throwing them in some info. I'd heard about like a sex party happening at a warehouse near the festivals. Cause they originally, they were like, well, then we're going to go to this party and this party and this party and we'll invite you to all of them. You can just meet at those. And I'm just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or you could go to this sex party. <laughs> and, um, like, they also, uh, you could stay over they, there. <laughs> they, uh, they took the bait and I went to the sex party. And so I did not have to leave the house, and I got to have a glorious Sunday just sitting nice. and doing nothing. Nice. But I walked out of the whole thing feeling like, 
I'm, yeah, I mean, like, the fact that I'm old is not news. Uh, no. But, but uh, no. And, uh, but it was, uh, it was a shock all the same. You're like, well, tell you a collection of graphic tees that you're, uh, that you're <laughs> I'm wearing one right now. Catwoman on it. Uh, so yeah. So I somehow was like so intimidated by my own guests and their like lust for life that I wow. just like recessed into the background and just like hid. <laughs> you had like breakfast ready for them when they woke up. And... I was being very much like the doting party mom. Wow. Yeah. Like I was checking in on them like, you boys Okay. Uh, go to that sex party exactly mm-hmm. I go okay be safe if you feel like it you know <laughs> 2018 different times I remember your safe word uh-huh. uh huh so yeah I just like I, yeah it was I just I fully like the dynamic shifted in ways I didn't anticipate and I just wound up being like supportive mom uh, you know if your guys are gonna do a kid I'd rather you do it in the house so that was pretty much uh, mm. you know yeah that was the long and the short of it that is and uh, we still need to wash those sheets I haven't done it yet uh but oh. they, yes i guess i shouldn't be sitting in them yes uh i was going to warn you but then you just planted <sighs> i mean i got cold and i know when you plant you're not gonna get back this is a done deal but uh anyway that's what's been up with me rebecca what's up with you mm, the last time i was on this show <laughs> <laughs> last time you guessed it uh i said unless anything crazy happens i'm gonna go see um that new movie um with the uh the blind spotting mm -hmm, the blind side and you know the racial uh story was was on point Mm -hmm. and um uh sandra bullock was amazing um i i I stand by the fact that it was great i don't know what you're talking about <laughs> no, you're like I would think you would love this movie, right? Like, <laughs> like, it's like oh, it's Sandy B. Right, you're like it's what? a white lady to the rescue. This is your your, your genre. Thing. Yeah, yeah um, no, I, I see why that would be confusing. But I did not see the movie um, because I had a, a week and a half of uh, cat surgery and cat care. Um, for your cat not yourself right that's not my fetish no um, <laughs> I can get my tail I can get right. my tail bobbed right. <laughs> Got your ears pinned down. Uh. <laughs> uh, that said, um, yeah, no, my cat needed surgery. It was just a lot. It was very stressful, and I wasn't able to leave the house as much because I had to come home and take care of her because she was locked in the bathroom because she couldn't jump around. And it's over, and she's better, and I'm glad, and I'm just going to forget all that happened. <laughs> so I didn't get to see that movie, and we didn't get to do the podcast last week. No. But, uh, you know, I learned a little bit about love, a little bit about life, and um, I, I should never get another animal, because <laughs> I am very emotionally invested. But, and the sad thing was, um, in addition to the obvious sadness of the pure living torture that your life was during those days of uncertainty and agony with, uh, with Sweet Teacup, um, you did actually watch at least one of the movies that we were going mm-hmm. to review last yeah. week. I did. And it's a movie mm-hmm. that I um, I thought would be a funny movie, funny, for us to watch <laughs> for the show, because I had seen a description of it as a story as being about um, a woman who works like a DMV job mm-hmm. and, and gets off by tormenting people with her bureaucratic um, powers um, until uh, she loses her cat and then her life begins to spiral out of control. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was a description. Mm-hmm. I sent it to Rebecca um, with a note that it was uh, the title of the movie was Sliding Doors, Ohio, Rebecca. <laughs> and uh, and it was start it started Adriana Barraza, who is an amazing actress, who is an uh, Oscar nominee for Babel some years mm-hmm. back. Um, and I don't even remember what the movie's name is. Do we have yeah, everything? Everything else? Everything else? Maybe. Yeah. That was like Todos, Todos, Los oh, Dimas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. 
Um, so it's called everything else. And, um, and so I sent Rebecca the link and, and bless you, you watched the movie. Um, and you found out before I did that when that description said that she lost her cat, what did it mean, Rebecca? Uh, her cat died in her bed. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, Mm -hmm. I, I, and I, 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 in all sincerity, would not have suggested we watch that movie. Yeah, no if, fair. If I knew that that's what it's about. Um, and this was a movie that um, that I believe you mentioned. You went so far as you were literally sitting in the bathroom with your injured cat, mm-hmm. just sitting on the floor watching it on your laptop. Yeah, trying to just soldier through it on the floor of a cold bathroom, uh, uncomfortable as hell, trying to make her feel better while she had her little cone on. The bathroom was just a just a mess. Trying to watch this movie and then the cat dies. The movie is torturously slow. It was the time. It was, and it made me I cursed you for hours. I understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I didn't even finish it, and you finished it. So mm-hmm. I mean, I uh, hate myself. It is like I feel like this. It's one of those movies where it makes me feel like I'm not a good critic <laughs> because I get so angry when a movie mm. is so like sadistically minimal. Mm. I usually uh, like that. Yeah. But this one was too much. And and I think honestly it's tomato meter speaks to that. It doesn't have a ton of reviews, but its average is like fifty five percent or something. Oh wow. Some and, people do like that. But, but I'm just like, who know. is this who who sits down and writes a movie like it, it I feel like it was almost meant to be a a, a throwback to like Gene Dealman, uh to like Chantal Ackerman, these yeah, like just these, staring at you blankly. These like these movies that were all about like the repetition of like one average woman's life and the mm. same like same thing day after day after day and the repetition is like the point mm-hmm. yeah um, yeah that was and uh that came through mm-hmm. um it didn't make it any more fun to watch and it did just make me think about like who is the, what is this monster who wrote this like who mm-hmm. sat down like you know what movie needs to be made like making a movie is not easy making a movie is hard and someone actually sat down and was People like, funded this. the power, the power that I want to use in this world is to make this story a reality. It's craft services. Yeah. Um, I feel like this would have been a good movie if it was like, picture this, a giant gallery and like the four different scenes that they have in this movie, like her writing down names, her at work, her at the pool, uh, her with her dead cat, all like projecting on loops on each one of the walls in this gallery. And you mm. kind of go in, you read the little narrative and you watch mm-hmm. the thing. Cause it's also, it's very beautiful. Yeah. It's, it's beautifully good. shot. Stunningly shot. Um, and I feel like that way would have been really kind of interesting. But sort of, just, sort of like a reverse manifesto. How yes, manifesto uh, this started. This remind me a bit of manifesto in the way yeah. where I'm like, wow, I have to slog through this one too. <laughs> Even though that was like way more dynamic and exciting. Right. It was, um, there was the dialogue that was so heavy and boring. Um, this one was, oppositely dull but also mm-hmm. tortuous <laughs> yes and there's very little dialogue aside from uh her just being like no no mm-hmm. you don't have the right, paperwork. the right paperwork um her not not entirely dissimilar from the character on family guy of the maid <laughs> so Indeed. Says, no nope. no do not do no impression i'm not doing the impression okay. <laughs> i'm not doing an accent with the impression mm. but we all know what i'm saying <laughs> <laughs> let's get to the movies we're actually supposed to be reviewing today not the extra bonus movie that we hated mm-hmm. um let's go to movie number one which is the spy who dumped me audrey and morgan best friends in los angeles are thrust unexpectedly into an international conspiracy when audrey's ex-boyfriend shows up at their apartment with a team of deadly assassins on his tail Surprising even themselves, the duo jump into action on the run throughout Europe from assassins and a suspicious but charming British agent as they hatch a plan to save the world. If we don't deliver this package to the end, a lot of people are going to die. 
Do you want to die having never been to Europe? Or do you want to go to Europe and die having been to Europe? Why are those my only two options? Is this really happening? Yeah, because you dated a spy. Come here, come here. Oh my god. An international terrorist group is planning a series of assassinations. A lot of innocent people are going to die unless we stop them. Will you trust us to help you? Light it up. This is surreal, and I honestly think I'm in shock. Woman, you are incredible, and I want you to own it. I feel like this is going to be... Uh, it's going to be hard for you to review this movie um, because you're going to compare it to Spy, which you loved. Hmm... Yeah, I mean, it is also a female-led action comedy with the word spy in the title, so mm-hmm. that's that's true. That, yeah. that traverses through Europe, mm-hmm. people unexpectedly being thrown into the spy life. Yeah. Clumsily. Yeah, and uh, it, it also, it kind of, um, it apes that storyline as well, uh, structurally with the sense that we have this dashing male spy character, mm-hmm. um, and spy was Jude Law, and this it's, um, in this it's, um, um, uh, Justin Thoreau, mm. and um, and uh, and then you he know, looks like he does ketamine. And each, <laughs> go on. I mean, I'll do whatever he's doing. Mm. <laughs> um, and uh, so yeah, and then each of them, you know, each of those characters get kind of snuffed out early on in these respective movies, mm-hmm. and that then propels this person, this woman, uh, who has not been up until that point uh, a spy, uh, into a life of spy dumb. And uh, although in the case of Spy, as Melissa McCarthy points out, she actually did have the exact same certification and training mm, yeah. as the rest of them. She was just kind of underestimated and given like desk jobs. So uh, whereas Mila Kunis is not that. Our character is not that in this movie. So there's no like surprise. She's super competent at being a spy. Right. Because she's like a waitress. Yes. Yeah. Um, so she is entirely an unremarkable, uh, woman who is thrust into... <laughs> Way to, like, make a blanket statement on waitresses. That was not intended to be a blanket statement on waitresses. <laughs> uh, she is an unremarkable... Uh, that's kind of the point of the movie in a way that her character is almost... She's, like, a slacker. Like, she doesn't really have her shit together. And, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. um, and she has turned 30. And so she's having this, like, oh, my life is, is you know, what's, what even is my life? My boyfriend just broke up with me over text and I have nothing going for me. And so, yeah, unremarkable. And her best friend is played by... Kate McKinnon. Oof. So, <laughs> all right. You want to go with how with your tone on that? You're you're whipping your head around in a, <laughs> in a strange way. You're in a feedback loop over there. Uh, I mean, your tone spoke volumes. I'm a little <laughs> shook. Kate, Kate, M- up. Kate McKinnon is in it, and this movie kind of commits a cardinal sin of having Kate McKinnon and then having her not really be funny, but to have her like be clearly intended to be funny. Um, but then to just somehow botch the execution in a way, I don't know if it's because of editing. I don't know mm. if it's because just, I mean, the script is terrible. Um, but Kate McKinnon is not that funny. You just feel her really hamming ineffectively, which is really tough for the soul to watch, ah. to watch Kate McKinnon like swinging and missing kind of, um, and, you know, just doing just this big over the top Kate McKinnon shtick the whole time, but to have it not really land or to have it not really like fit in with the movie around it you know i feel like we we've come to this we've had this feeling before maybe it was it during ghostbuster and I, maybe it was just me where i feel like something about her doesn't translate to film all that well i mean mm-hmm. i didn't like her that much in the um rough night rough night mm-hmm. that one also like she under has been underwhelming me in films yeah yeah, I think in Rough Night, for whatever reason, I liked her just because I like her Australian accent. <laughs> and um, and I thought she like had like a very consistent kind of like 
character beat. And also, it wasn't entirely on her shoulders to be like the funny one in that movie. In this, she's the funny one. In Mm. this, she's wacky sidekick, like textbook. And that is a thankless role, um, at least for her. Uh, So I think that, you know, she she works better when she has a lot of other like funny people to bounce off of. Mm. And I think in Rough Night, you know, she had Alana Glazer. um, She had Jillian Bell. So I think, you know, the three of them being like, you know, like sketch comedy actors um, were able to have a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, Maybe that's what it is. It's like that sketch comedy energy. Yeah. um, That doesn't work in a scripted, super scripted environment. Maybe. But, uh, but yeah, and wow, this, this all she's thing... got is Meg to bounce off of. Oh, and... Damn it, Meg. <laughs> Pretty good. What can you do with Meg? There's not much. Not much. Mila Kunis. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's uh, it's tough. It's There's there's not much here for uh, Kate McKinnon to really salvage. I mean, she, she tap dances her ass off trying to make it funny, and it just doesn't really uh, land. That's sad. That is sad. And it's, I mean, it's, it's a shame because she seems like the kind of person who would, would have no black marks on her record. Like she mm-hmm. would be able to be the, the, the force that makes something funny regardless right. of the situation. Yeah. And that's not the case. I think she has yet to prove that she has Kristen Wiig level versatility. Mm. I mean, as the most obvious comparison is like the last sort of giant female superstar to come out of SNL. Mm-hmm. You know, Kristen Wiig obviously has demonstrated again and again and again that she has great versatility as both a comic performer and just a straight actress. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, in Bridesmaids, of course, her magnum opus, she proved both. Right. Yeah. Um, so and Kate McKinnon has yet to have that moment. Like, I feel like she probably has it in her to do a straightforward character and to not be like hamming it up. But this shitty movie only wants her to ham it up and she does her best, but the material is just not there. So I feel like your obvious lack of enthusiasm speaks to maybe um, a, better, a different expectation you had for this movie? Or did you kind of go in thing like, oh, this is probably not going to work? Mm, you know, I think I walked in open to it being funny. I mean, I, I, I certainly was aware that I was watching a studio comedy that was going to be released in August. Mm, uh, mm. and uh, and what I saw was an August comedy yeah um, but no I mean I was open to because I feel like even a lot of female driven comedies even the ones that critics usually are like panning I still will have fun at and I, if it's funny I'll walk away and be just like it's funny um, you know watch it this is not funny um, it, doesn't, it doesn't work and the, the thing that surprises me the most about it actually is that it succeeds more as an action movie than as a comedy and that Oh. It's not what I expected from it. Like, it's an action comedy. Um, but the action scenes are are actually surprisingly intense and brutal. Um, I, I thought this was going to be, this movie is going to tank so fucking hard because that's also rated R. Mm-hmm. So I was like, mm-hmm. oh, I, I walked yeah. into it thinking that I 100% was going to watch a PG-13 action comedy. What I got was a hard R um, that had like, you know, fuck in it like 10 times in the first 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, this is rated R. And yeah, a lot of surprisingly gory violence. Wow. And uh, yeah, I was really not expecting that. And uh, and so the action comes through uh, effectively, but it's the comedy that comes up short, which is the last thing I would have expected from it. Um, it has exactly one joke that I thought was very funny. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you that joke now, so you don't have to see it. <clears throat> or it's more of a, a bit, really. Uh, so during a scene while they're in Europe, there is a female assassin who is on their um, on their trail. And she is at, um, she's on a, up on like a clock tower. Uh, she's a bird's eye view of the city and she has her sniper rifle and, um, she has her earpiece in with, uh, you know, big bad telling her like, okay, like now, now is the moment, you know, take them out. And she's like, well, which one, you know, so who, what am I looking for? Who are they? And he says, two dumb American women. 
and she looks through the viewfinder and we see through her point of view um these two women like standing next to each other taking selfies while doing like the v's in front of their mouth <laughs> and then she like moves it over a little bit and she looks through it again and there are these two drunken women taking like pictures of themselves humping a statue <laughs> and then she moves it a third time and she looks and there's like these two women like puking into a fountain <laughs> and um <laughs> and then she just kind of gets this like this quizzical like be more specific look <laughs> That's the one good joke in the entire movie. Oh, and is that told by uh, any of the makers? It is not. They're not even on screen for us. Nice. Yeah. Great. It was a side gag. Yeah. And there's also, <laughs> I think, the one funny line in the trailer where Kim McKinnon's like, would you rather die not having been to Europe or would you rather go to Europe and die having been to Europe? <laughs> um, but even that gets ruined by Mila Kunis being like, those are my options. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, that is the exact one good go... Uh, shut uh, up, Meg. Uh, yeah, <laughs> shut up, Meg. In the entire movie. Uh, Every time there's that uh, whiskey commercial by Mila Kunis, she does, like, some kind of bourbon or, like, uh-huh. Tennessee oh, yeah, whiskey. Yeah. I'm obvious- I cannot not say, shut up, Meg. <laughs> Every time it comes on. <laughs> I mean, your enduring allegiance to Family Guy is a, is a great treat for me. Uh, <laughs> it really tickles me. It's something I think our listeners might not guess about you is that you're actually no. a long-time um, Family Guy enthusiast <laughs> and that you have a complicated relationship with Brian. This is not... Oh, God. <laughs> Remember that time there was that internet thing where people would, like, get three photos of, of like, a of characters that are, like, themselves? Mm-hmm. Mine was just three Brian's. <laughs> 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 I'm a drunk. <laughs> I'm a know-it-all. <laughs> I'm a... And you're a killjoy. <laughs> yeah. I'm always trying to date somebody out of my league. <laughs> of a different species. <laughs> well, um, so what are you giving this one, Jason? <laughs> you know, this is a send it back. There's no circumstance in which I tell someone to watch this. I, it'll make a harmless plane comedy. But aside from that, no. There's not a single... Yeah, not at all. Not Fall asleep at, to it on a plane. Not at all. It's rated out for violence, language throughout, some sexual material and graphic nudity, but who cares, because you're not going to see it. The second movie we have for you this week doesn't have a trailer, but it is Scotty and the Secret History of Hollywood. The scandalous story of Scotty Bowers, a former Marine who lands in Hollywood after World War II and becomes a legendary escort and sexual procurer to closeted gay celebrities. Jason... I watched this one. You sure did. Mm-hmm. Uh, what a real treat. Mm-hmm. Um, is this not our pick of the week? It is our pick of the week. Oh, it's our pick of the week. Yeah. Uh, Scotty and the Secret History of Hollywood. Pick of the week. Um, <laughs> you can't find that file anyway. No, nope, so. I still can't. So I'm just going to do my own V. Um, I love this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, had you heard anything about this story I before? I, I think I had like that day, uh-huh. yesterday. Yeah. Um, seen a quick thing that it existed yes. um, but i didn't read anything about it i didn't know anything about it um and did you know that all old hollywood actors were also gay yes yeah okay i don't know that there were any in there that i was surprised about right Catherine hepburn mm-hmm. carrie grant yeah rock hudson yeah um who else was there? spencer tracy Lawrence olivier Lawrence olivier charles lawton mm-hmm. um Mm. Yeah, there's a lot in there. I mean, they talk about Vivian Lee, but not all of them are like hooking up with, you know, like Vivian right. Lee was, you know, there are a lot of people who used sex workers, but, you know, were, but of the opposite sex. So mm-hmm. like, like Bill Holden and Vivian Lee. Right. And, um, what was the one? It was a. Uh, uh, Eddie Davis. Lana Turner and oh, Ava, Ava Gardner. Gardner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a real, it's a real who's who. Um, so, yeah. So what we have here is, um, you know, we have this, it's just. 
whenever they would get into those parts of the movie, because the movie talks about a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. And at first I thought it might be a really kind of surface level documentary mm-hmm. that is just this kind of like sensationalistic lord retelling of like this, like this absolutely like scalding hot gossip. Especially because um, the the uh, documentary subject, Scotty Bowers, had, had recently written a book, yes. like recently to when this documentary was made, mm-hmm. um, that was this expose of his of his story. Yeah. And so it seemed like it was going to be just like the video version of that book. A hundred percent. Is how that's, this movie is sold. That's what I was worried it was going to be. Even though when they would get to those parts, I would just like not even breathe. Oh, of course. I was like, oh my God, this is so good. Uh, so fucking juicy and also hot as hell. Oh my god! I this 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 did it for me. Um, I love <laughs> you love that. Uh, I love the illicit stuff. I the high waisted big torso I do. look. You know, I mean, it's one that I have tried to adopt to, to little success. I mean, you have. Um, <laughs> what have I got? All those things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have a waist and a torso. <laughs> Thank you. you. Yeah. Um. So, uh, yeah. So we have like a. Uh, this, yeah, this guy, Scotty Bowers, he's 90 years old at the time that he's, he, the, the first day of filming was actually his 90th birthday. And, um, and he is, uh, and he is there just in person on camera telling these stories about, um, he had been a former Marine and then he moved out to LA and he wound up working at this gas station on Hollywood Boulevard. I believe is that right? Mm-hmm, yeah. yeah, and um, and he uh, and then this one thing led to another, and he was also like sort of instantly recognized or acknowledged as being just like a hot new piece of ass around town, and that opens a lot of doors in L.A. And so then he was being invited to these like pool parties, which apparently not new. Brian Singer did not invent pool no. parties Mm-mm. as a way of preying on like young gay sex toy. Yeah, why do you think Palm Springs even exists? <laughs> And uh, and so he was sort of getting invited into that kind of pool party world by from directors like George Cukor, uh, who plays a big role in this movie. Mm-hmm. And um, and then one thing led to another, and somehow he wound up basically his th- this gas station was a front for like a full blown uh, sort of pimping operation, mm-hmm. escort service. Um, and uh, and there was even you know so yeah there were people who just show up there and meet people and go. And there was also he had a trailer mm-hmm. um, back. And- be- Deal with the hotel across the street. Deal with the hotel across the street. And um, and then he had, like, this whole little, like, you know, this this full gang of sex workers that he had employed. And um, and then he himself was also working as an escort. And, um, and yeah, to just, like, Hollywood's, you know, rich and famous and powerful all came to rely on him. There is one couple I'm not going to mention because I don't want to spoil it. Yeah. And, like... Let me, tell, let me just mouth it to you real quick so you know who I'm talking about, but I'm not going to ruin it for the podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right never mind we'll talk about it later there's this one very powerful european couple um that oh yeah i wasn't necessarily surprised about but i was so surprised about i know yeah that was actually when you just mouthed it to me i just then realized even who that was mm. i i didn't even make that connection oh yes yeah um queen elizabeth guys <laughs> freaking the sheets <laughs> um yeah it's just like the lives that he intersects with um are Im- insane and amazing yeah, and um, you know, and they come to really rely on him um, because this movie also does a really good job at contextualizing, but not overly laboring mm-hmm. um, the context of what it meant to be gay uh, in America at that time. And the and, movie starts off like right off the bat because it, it kind of intros with him doing uh, like a book signing, and it addresses immediately like people asking him, 
you're outing people. Mm-hmm. How do you people? How do you think people's families feel? Yeah. Um, and that kind of frames a bit of the like then versus now as well, mm-hmm. uh, because he speaks about it in a way where he's like, you know, Hollywood and and the contract system and the studio system made people be closeted, but right. the, the people that I knew were, were gay open. and they were open. Yeah. And uh, and then people, his you know friends and other commenters and mm-hmm. in in talking heads in this film, talk about how. You know, in at that time, you'd have to go to a park or something. Right. You could be arrested in a gay bar, but this mm-hmm. provided people a place to like safely be able to hook up. Right, and it was a safe space. Yeah, the whole thing is done in a with a very much of a, a position. He has a lot yeah. of friends who still love him. It's mm-hmm. in a position of like caring and respect and positivity. Which is the funniest thing. One of the funniest things in the movie is like he goes, he like goes around to these different people who are still alive, guys who are still alive who used to be um, like uh, escorts who work for him. And so you just sit and watch these two like nine year old men be like, oh, the prick that guy had, he would suck a cock a mile long, call it a day, uh, you know. And it's like they look like our grandpas, yes. just like sitting around, just being like, oh, I fucked her ten ways from Sunday. She kept coming back after that. Well, she about that prick I had in my ass that week. Like it's like, what are you? What are we watching? It was. It's so like unexpected um, and very funny and poignant. Like it's all these things at once. Yes. Um, and and you know, sweet and sweet. And because he has such like affection for all of them, and like in you know, what he was doing, like it really for him didn't seem like it was about like some you know it wasn't just purely about like oh I'm going to build this empire for myself. No, no, like he it was like for him it was all about the relationships. It was all about the friendships. It was all about the trust. And you know, which comes back to that conversation of like, well, what's he betraying their trust now by like cashing in and writing this book? Um, but you know, and I, he does, he, for he personally, he, it's very important to him that they, he waited for them all to be dead. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he's like, I would never have done this while a single one of them, any of my clients were ever living. Mm-hmm. I would never have done that because I know it would have, you know, messed with their careers and our contracts and everything. But then, you know, some people would be like, well, now it's going to mess with their legacy. Um, but then to that, you could be like, well, that's a, that's homophobic to be like, right, why yeah. would, why would being gay? And what old queen's um, about to put on an Audrey or a Captain Heffery movie and, and not watch exactly, it? Cause they, you know, like I, this has changed everything for me. This is also a uh, book ended by, um, the, the prop eight ruling yes. and the, like the legalization of gay marriage. So it, it really, and I didn't even, even think so beautiful. isn't, isn't heavy handed. No. Um, he just kind of wanders down as people it's, are celebrating so in the, in West Hollywood. That got me. And you see like, yeah, where, where in his lifetime there he is. It went and he kind of he's so happy and, and he's, he's just yeah just and he's still spry spry at 90 and people you know some of the, the people that are his friends and, and uh, you know hollywood historians mm-hmm. you know credit part of what he did to helping move move things to this, yeah. this point uh, which no, is amazing it's remarkable and so that's one movie yeah that's well that's one movie and then one <laughs> thing i want to say about the outing thing is you know this is the thought that i started to have watching it and sort of asking myself if i thought it was right and um you know and then i you know, I started to have this this idea, and then I read an interview with the director where he kind of you know, articulated it further, which is that like these are historical figures, mm-hmm. yeah. And part of any sort of basic biographical approach to telling the story of a historical figure is to also look at their personal life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so to say that like, oh, you know, to have Cary Grant's biography, uh, to be like, okay, well, you know, here's a bunch of stuff about women he dated and women he was married to. It's like, okay, great. Also, here's men. Whoa, 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 right, whoa. Right, right, why right. are we? Why are we going there? Mm-hmm. You know, like there's, there's very clearly, like you should be able to see very plainly what's wrong with that. To say, right. like, oh well, that's inappropriate. That's muckraking. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you know, and obviously there's no shortage of historical figures from throughout history that we've pointed to, and you know, his, you know, um, scholarship has been like, oh, it turns out this person was was doing a lot of, you know, dip, was more interested in the same sex. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so I feel like this is. 
in keeping with that. And I could see how they'd be like, oh, well, you just wait until they were all dead and then wrote this book to sell them out. But God damn it, if his story isn't fucking amazing and worth telling. It really is. And like, I don't know. I just can't see that a man in his late 80s, early 90s, although he seems to refuse to believe he's that old. Yeah. Is like. He, he lives comfortably. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's... It doesn't seem like he's <laughs> if, in a place where he's like, man... In a hoarder den. Well, yeah, that's another movie. Yeah. Um, he's trying to... Like, I don't think he's a, a need for money. It's not about that. Not um, in the slightest. And uh, his intentions, again, just seem uh, incredibly positive and yeah. really sweet. Um, so the next movie that yeah. is part of this movie is how you mentioned, you know, it's about it's not about the relationships and it's not about um, the money... You know, he said, again, like all of his old clients like love him and mm-hmm. trust him. Say he changed his life. He saved their lives. Um, you have a man who has been through a lot of trauma mm-hmm. and, um, you know, it, through this movie comes to process because, the, you know, the book is very much what, what are the things that he's done and seen and the people and the stories. And then this documentary starts, you, know, you start to notice his life, yeah, which is a stark contrast to the story that you, that is in the book and the story of the person that is this, um, well-loved, um, man about town. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't even know if it's contrast as just providing additional shading, Mm. um, to like where this man came from. And I think, you know, I think probably the sad reality is that there's not a lot that was that terribly unique about, Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. about his childhood. I mean, I think he's very much a product of his time, a product of his generation. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, but yeah, basically when he starts to dig into his, uh, when his, his childhood growing up in the great depression, I mean, this guy fucking saw the entire 20th century. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, but yeah, so it it comes out i think probably the most troubling piece of the movie um is when he sort of very casually um reveals that from the age of 11 o'clock or 11 or even earlier than 11 Mm -hmm. 11 like 11 onward he was having he was what we would consider he was molested Mm -hmm. um repeatedly um and uh and that sort of creates one of the great conflicts in the movie that's never resolved because the filmmaker Matt Trinauer um and we hear him off camera being like because Scotty telling the story he's telling it like it's this great story he's like oh it's amazing um you know he's like yeah from I've been tricking since he says tricking so much mm-hmm. um he's like I've been tricking since I was eleven yo know, I always knew what to do and they, oh yeah then they they introduced me to this priest and I hooked all the priests up and. And, uh, you know, and, and they're showing pictures of him as, you know, and he's, he was, he was, a, he was a snack, uh, not when he was 11, I mean, uh, <laughs> okay. but, uh, That's but, the only uh, thing I'm keeping up this episode. Yes. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, he was, a, he was, he was, you know, a very handsome, uh, young guy and, uh, and he, uh, yeah, cashed in, um, considerably about that. But so when he's telling this story, um, as if it's just like, just one more wild tale in the life of Scotty Bowers, Matt Trinauer is like, well, so uh, most people would consider what you just said to be uh, molestation and child mm-hmm, sexual mm-hmm. assault. And, um, and Scott, just kind of stares. He's like, what? No. And he's like, no. And then he says like something, you know, he says something like, no boy's ever been hurt by getting his dick sucked by someone else mm-hmm, or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Which that was a, that was tough. It was tough. But it's also hard to say, like, okay, the man's 90. Yeah. He's built a whole life and a whole series mm-hmm. of coping mechanisms, um, yeah. one of which is this, like, he's always there to to serve people, mm-hmm. and he wants to make other people happy. Right. 
Um, and, and a lot of it has to do with the other traumas that he, he faces in his life as well. Mm-hmm. And so he's built that system. He has this like hoarding system that you yeah. referenced. Um, so clearly he has done his own, you know, wall building to protect himself from the trauma that he's faced. But like, how do you tell someone at 90, like, no, you let's don't. sit down and face those demons, right? You like, you I think that only happened with the, uh, the Norman Lear documentary. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Because he, he wanted it. Right. And that had yeah. to do because Norman Lear was like actively looking for... Mm-hmm. You know, he's like, I want to understand myself and I want to be in therapy. And, he, you know, Scotty Bowers, you know, for him, this is all a done deal. And in his mind, you know, he's never been hurt by it. And then this tension that kind of grows and is never resolved is the director wanting to be like, for a lot of people, this is going to put literally your entire story after that. It's going to create a causality. Mm-hmm, people mm-hmm. are going to say that all your amazing tall tales that you now have are because you were molested as a boy and that forever sort of skewed and 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 distorted your under your ideas about sex and sexuality he's like, no. and sexual behavior <laughs> and he's like no <laughs> um, he just swats it away he's like that's ridiculous um yeah. and you know he's like no he's like i loved it you know i loved every minute of it and i always and i love going out there and tricking from day one you know it's what i had I mean, it's not impossible no it's not impossible at all i don't think he's lying yeah. Um, I don't think he's lying at all. Um, you know, like I, I found his like, his just, com- there's the, the, his, his such, he has such an uncomplicated, like excited love of just sex. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And that, that was, there was something that was like appealing about that throughout the whole movie. Like mm-hmm. the, the movies, the movie's view of sex is like this sort of just like this, like this super fun, like secret activity. And it's like, oh, you just have to know the right people and then you just do it and it's fun. And, uh, you know, like it, it talks about it like it's like, you know, I don't know, like some some super cool fad that like all the kids are doing or, mm-hmm. you know, or just like, oh, it's amazing. Um, you know, just got to oh, come and come around my place. Oh, we'll do it. It'll be great. Uh, you yeah, know, it like, doesn't have like an unhealthy power dynamic or there's anything. No, to one, it. nothing like that at all. Like it just seems like everyone's in the same place. It's like it's like a playground. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it certainly was long before AIDS. And that does come into play later once we're getting to the rock huts and stuff. But from when he first started doing it in like the, you know, late 40s um, on through up until AIDS, like they it was just like this free for all. And uh, and I'm sure that they're, you know, certainly at least the guys who are alive to talk with him in this documentary have nothing but like they're like, oh, he made he saved my life. Mm-hmm. Meaning the escorts, like the escorts were like, you know, they're not like, they don't even have these like me too stories of they're like, oh, and then this director took me to his house and raped me. None of them have stories like that, or at least if they have them, they're not talking about them or they've suppressed them, which is possible. But but it seemed like everyone was just like, it was like mutually advantageous and beneficial and everyone was just having the time of their lives. And uh, while the whole country was just thinking that, oh, these are these like larger than life, uh, you know, iconic figures in these movies that are untouchable. And then here, here were their, what they were doing in their real lives. So you have that movie. <laughs> so right. you have like so you have the the Hollywood stuff. Then you have the the story of, you know, that the the molestation is one part, then there's, you know, being in the war and mm-hmm. like from fam- family issues. So you have these the the more serious parts. And it's I don't know. I can't it's not a movie where I'm like, "Oh, it's so beautifully edited." But I think the 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 timing of how these things happen mm-hmm. make it uneven in a way that makes it exciting um yeah. and dynamic. Then you have like them falling around day to day now yeah which the weirdest shit happens yeah his relationship with his wife is incredibly bizarre that was yes. probably the most awkward troubling part for me was the kind of like Im- not imbalance but it just tense relationship they seem to have like it, it it was familiar and they've been together for like 35 years but they were clearly on like different pages and then his hoarding issues mm-hmm. um which were you know affecting her yeah, and yeah these- they were quibbling a bit 
Yeah, yeah. Um, you have this guy who refuses to believe he's 90 he turns 91 in the movie and he's like climbing up on ladders every time i was like this is gonna be if these yeah. walls could talk to um <laughs> get off there, that ladder although there's an if these walls could talk one moment also in the story oh yeah there's that um uh oh yeah yeah um which i think is worth you know it's it's i think it's worth saying just because of the conversation we're having as a country to remember that this mm-hmm. these are things that happened yeah but uh he um when we dig more into his family life we find out that he had had he had, had a single daughter um and then uh at the age of 23 um presumably in the 60s uh she uh, had an you know she had a, an illegal abortion um you know by necessity since abortion was not legal mm-hmm. and then she di- went to a coma several days afterward and died mm-hmm and um, so I think that that is something that it's important for us all to remember. Mm-hmm. That's the consequence yeah. of uh, of of, have, of taking away access to uh, to safe abortion. Um, so, uh, but yeah, so that was that was you know, and and he, you know, you're looking at this guy who has just portrayed himself as just this you know you know joie de vivre, life at a party, bon vivant the whole time, and you just start to realize like there's a, a lot of pain mm-hmm. and a lot of loss there too. A, a really thorough look at a life, mm-hmm. the 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 good parts and the bad parts, in a way that n- that neither of those seemed inflated by the movie. They were like, and you know, this is the dramatic music, the sad part. This right. is like the it was just it was just a really honest story of life. And then you have these really weird scenes. One of my favorite parts of the movie. Mm-hmm. So, like, they show again, like, his 90 and his 91st birthday where they make him these, like, huge novelty sex cakes. Yeah. And one is, like, a picture of a... <clears throat> it's, like, a cake. It's not a picture. It's a, a 3D cake of a mm-hmm. phone. And, like, instead of the... What is it, what's that called? The receiver? Yeah. It's, like, a... Or the, head, a, the earpiece. The earpiece of a, of a phone. It's, like, a dick. And then, like, this is 91. <laughs> and then he takes it home and, and he... Uh, <laughs> He goes to, he can't finish it. It's gigantic. It's like a sheet cake. It's the size of this table. He comes home and he feeds it to the raccoons. So then they have this camera on. You see two raccoons eating this giant. Well, well at first it's skunks. <laughs> oh, it's skunks. That's it. I'm sorry. It's skunks. <laughs> there's skunks. And then there's actually, if you watch until like the end yes. of the end credits. There's a coyote. There's some raccoons. Oh, I miss the raccoons. <laughs> yeah. The end of the, the end credits is like just him like watching the raccoons, like eating, eating the, the cake. cake. Yeah. Amazing. You've never seen two raccoons and a coyote eat a, eat a, penis cake before <clears throat> because he has a house he has a little like bungalow like way up in the hills way mm-hmm. up in like the hollywood hills he has like a couple of houses yeah 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 he's, he has all yeah. full of stuff all full of stuff um he has all these, like, all these weird anecdotes ashes this um movie one of the other really exciting things is that he has a lot of old photos mm. and you get to see the people when they were young and they were old i love that his memory is amazing his memory is amazing he tells fantastic stories this movie if we haven't ruined it for you by yeah, telling you everything about told it you almost everything it's there's, fantastic there's still a lot of joy to be had from watching and it does yeah I, I agree with you know i think with so many great documentaries that are out this summer mm. you know i think we're seeing a lot these these yeah just like sort of these teachable things about like how to edit a documentary in a way that you know uh, respects a story's natural suspense, mm, you know, and sort of mm-hmm. like holding holding fire on certain reveals instead of just throwing it all out there at the beginning. Mm-hmm. You know, Three Identical Strangers did that. You know, Whitney did that. Um, and this one does that. I, I was thinking about Whitney when they got to the reveal about the abuse, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, except for, you know, in this case, he... Uh, true to being a man of his generation was just like ah wasn't a World victim with, are you oh, kidding me forgot there's the whole bar where they make uh, a Tashin book about photos from World oh, War yeah. II and he speaks to World War II mm-hmm. and like the buddy system yeah the buddy thing the word buddy means a lot in this movie it means, it means a lot um, that's a whole different part of the movie that's yeah. really uh, really well done so rich movie is amazing binge it for me for sure yeah totally binge it I should also note that we're viewing this a week earlier than opens in San Francisco 
Um, as of when you're hearing this, it's open in New York and L.A. Um, and then August 10th is when it opens in San Francisco, I believe, at the Alamo Draft House. Oh, nice. Check it out. Go go get a gay brunch. Mm-hmm. And then get all saucy mimosas. Yeah. And then follow it up with a, a mimosa at the theater. Yeah. Um, it is uh, unrated, but probably NC-17 for the graphic archival sex and nudity, because there is a lot of that. They show a lot of real sex uh, in, in, uh, in, in little grainy, like, reel-to-reel, mm-hmm. um, including a very generous but pixelated close-up of he yeah. himself in his prime fully jerking it you know, while sucking a guy off. It's like, it reminds you to take pictures. <laughs> And also, like, you know, everyone's like, oh, well, you know, the thing about phones, and now everyone has a video of themselves having sex or naked photos. Like, clearly it's not a new thing. No, not at all. Oh, wait, and then there's a whole other question, which is like, here's the thing. Okay, yes, you're, we're looking at this is this movie where, you know, 10 of the top 10 movie stars are gay. Mm-hmm. And then, like, that didn't stop in the 40s and the 50s no. and the 60s. Right. There's that, too. What about that? Let's what re- about that? Let's rethink the, our studio marriages for a moment. We I. <laughs> My my girlfriend and I spent last night thinking about every Hollywood couple we could and trying mm. to guess if they were gay or not. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's still, I mean, of course, it's, it's different just in the sense that there's no more, you know, there's no more studio. The studio system is dead. But then you still have Jodie Foster over there. Well, yeah, I think. Well, there and she. I mean, she started when there was basically still sure. a studio. I mean, you know. Uh, but yeah, no, I think there's still definitely a lot of you know closetedness uh, mm. in Hollywood. There's still fear of how it will impact the career. Mm-hmm. So we're gonna do. Um. On to our last movie of the week, which is Good Manners. A mysterious and wealthy woman hires a lonely nurse named Clara to be the nanny of her soon-to-be-born child. When a full moon brings about the birth of a werewolf, Clara makes it her mission to care for the monstrosity and protect it from others. You got your werewolves? And we have no trailer for this one because it is in Portuguese. Portuguese. Uh, You have your lesbians. (laughs) You have... Your musicals. <laughs> this is a real wild ride, huh? It is. Also, it's long as fuck. It is that too, although to me it didn't feel that long. Yeah? Yeah. Did you and Sil watch this one together, the part of it you saw? Mm-mm. No, I watched no. this by myself. Mm, okay. Um, saving it. Saving it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's a part where it goes from uh, hot to gnarly. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how far you watched. I mean, I, I Had the watched... child been born? Uh, no, but then I skipped ahead to see if it was going to be shown. Oh, oh, is it? Oh, is it? oh <laughs> I saw. Oh, is it? <laughs> That's a little thing, huh? Uh-huh. Oh, did you, were you, did you think it was cute? I think it's kind of cute. It was kind of cute. It is kind of cute. I know. It has a little, little cord wrapped around its neck. And she gets a little, it's like, <laughs> it's like, oh, well, who wouldn't? Look at that poonum. Come on. <laughs> can't, can't stay mad at it. Uh, yeah, this is a movie that has a lot of surprises. This is, um, I can't say that I have seen this movie before. Um, <laughs> at first I was thinking, you know, it starts off similarly to Scotty and the Secret History of Hollywood. It starts off as one movie and then mm. pivots around halfway through into a completely different movie. And although in this one, there's a time jump of about seven years. And, um, and so watching the first half of it, I was like, okay, well, this feels kind of familiar because I mean, I was like, here we go again with another story that another sort of fairy tale about Mm. how a woman's body is a horror story right and that's the same i was like this is here we go again yeah yeah um which you know that's my favorite genre i'm fine with that like that's Um, my core belief yeah my core belief (laughs) exactly listen that's why i make the choices i make that's why i chose to be gay um so there's that um even but even with that it was sort of taking surprising turns because it's Mm. like okay so we're watching this story of uh, you know, so we have this 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 nurse Clara, 
who is uh who's um you know african brazilian and then we have and she comes from like the favelas uh, I think that's how it's pronounced. It's pronounced favela. Favela. Mm-hmm. Um, she so she lives in a, she lives in a favela, and um, and then she you know is coming into like the posher parts of Sao Paulo to um, to you know just try to find work as a, as a caretaker, and she comes across this woman who is pregnant and who seems like just kind of kooky, mm. and she's like she's beautiful and she's wealthy and she's yeah. estranged from her family and she's very pregnant. And um, and she's just kind of all over the place. Mm-hmm. And um, and Clara, despite not having any um, official sort of experience with children, things like that, um, p- proves very quickly that she has a sort of Take sixth care sense, of business. yeah, this ability to to be almost superhumanly um, there to help this woman. And um, and so and so yeah, we're watching this all play out. And we're like, okay, so we know what movie we're watching. We've read the byline. We know this is about you know she's she's having you know she's having these weird moments where she's you know going and she's sleepwalking, and then you know she'll start to try to attack Clara. Um, and, you know, and you know, uh, you know, lesbian courtship. And um, <laughs> and then although I was wondering, there is a scene. This movie does also break faith with Rebecca by having a cat killing <laughs> occur on 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 screen. And I felt like what a lesbian betrayal that would be if you were following your like cute new girlfriend around at night because she's sleepwalking and then she just like fully ate a cat in front of you. I mean, that hasn't happened since uh, um... college. <laughs> Everyone experiments. <laughs> um, Shape of water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cat eating continues to trend. In, um, Man, and... it was puking before. Why are all of the, my my triggers trending? I know. Should I, I tell know. you what I'm afraid of next, so you can make be on the next wave? Yeah, let's, let's get let's get ahead of it. Those are my only two things: <laughs> animal <laughs> killing and puking. Well, I guess we know which ones to keep looking for. Yeah. Um, so, unfortunately, at least one of those things happens in this movie. Mm-hmm. And, um, but yeah, so then things between the two women take a really unexpected turn, um, as they do begin to have, um, a, a sexual relationship. And, uh, and then, yeah, I don't know how much to go into the story. Yeah. Um, I mean, but I will say that it jumps ahead seven years, um, around the mid, exactly the midway point to Clara now raising this little werewolf boy. <laughs> and, um, and that's, you know, and the movie becomes in the second half. For me, was slightly less um, interesting than the movie was in the first half because the first half we have like class, uh, mm. you know, we have a you know sort of this class allegory. We have lesbianism. Uh, we have these unexpected musical numbers popping up here and there. <laughs> uh, you know, there's there's there, you know we have um, you know female body allegory. There, there's so much going on in the first half that's so interesting to me personally. And then the second half felt very much like it was just about like raising a child. Um and I was like, whoa, bring a book. I will say that <laughs> this is the worst version of Tully I've ever seen. <laughs> I will say this movie more than many I have seen made me not want to become a parent. More than Tully. More than Tully. Um, because I mean, this was just one, but like you know, this kid. Um, it just so happens that when the kid's turning seven, it's around this time the kid starts to like find out a bit more about his background, and um, you know, because uh, you know, Clara had kind of like not told him the total truth, but mm-hmm. he does know that he is i don't know if he knows he's a werewolf but he does know that he like needs to be locked in this room on full moon nights with his um, arms chained to the wall which is a which is a a, a sad little sight to see just this like tiny little <laughs> seven-year-old boy's arms like in cuffs he's like looking at her like looking up like okay mommy <laughs> um but uh but yeah then it's around this time that things start to turn and um a you know, series of circumstances uh set him off to kind of become 
you know, yeah, more empowered and emboldened in his werewolfness. Mm. And um, so I think with the second half of the movie, it was still like, it was still uh, masterfully done. Like I was so struck by the filmmaking of this movie. Mm. Mm. It, it was so... Uh, it was just so confident and it was so poised and assured and it felt grand. There was something about it yeah. that just felt grand. It kind of had a, a, like a shape of water yeah, type feel Yeah, there was it. a del Toro feel del Toro, to it for yeah. sure. And you know, it has this amazing score with a lot of harp on it. I thought mm-hmm. you would enjoy the harp. Mm-hmm. Of course. Um, you're like too pretty. <laughs> didn't have any. Don't yeah, the harp. Didn't, didn't have any yowlings over it, so I didn't uh, didn't do it for me altogether. Uh, but yeah, like it just felt like a very like they weren't trying to tell a small story. Like it, mm-hmm. it felt like you know like the, the the scope the scope of of this film is is large, and I feel like the the mm-hmm. filmmakers actually had the chops to see it through. Like it felt like it was being done by like a very like assured, experienced filmmaker. Do you know if it is? No, I don't believe they have done much. I think they've maybe done one movie before this oh, one, wow. one or two. That is yeah. surprising. Because it it really does feel like it feels like a budget like a big budget movie. It feels like a very like mm-hmm. not not in the sense that it feels boring, but just in the sense that it feels very like produced. Con- very controlled and very produced yeah. and very polished. Experienced. Yes. And maybe we've come from a, a run of a few um more indie films that seemed more like indie films. Like everything else. Bruce the Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> no, everything else I thought yeah. looked beautiful. Yeah. I mean it didn't feel like yeah, I mean, it was it was what it was. Well, I'm saying, well the scope in that one was just so small. And the scope in this yes, one is, like, enormous. Yes, 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 yes. Um, what are you giving this one? Uh, it's a binge it for me, honestly. Yeah. Like, I was really torn between this and the Scotty. Um, mm, anyway. I, I, I think that, um, you know, like, I, there, it does, you know, Good Manners does lose me still a little bit in the second half because it does... It kind of, okay, so I mean, the whole thing is a fairy tale and, you know, and so you can't really hold the character's choices up to like traditional, like, well, would I do that? Is that a relate? Is that a realistic right. thing for them to choose? Because, you know, you have to have this whole sort of fairy tale heightenedness. Um, but, you know, it does ultimately, it's about this woman just being a caretaker and, um, and no, <laughs> and, and it does have a number, I think three or four, maybe like just unexpected musical numbers where the characters break into song. Mm. And um and which is a nice touch. And yeah, I mean I no, I was when I was looking at this, I was like, I don't want to keep saying Almodovar, even though so many of the things reminded me of it. Mm-hmm. Um, from the musical numbers to the way that it looked and felt, um, to the fairy tale mm-hmm. aspect. And then I was like, Are people just gonna think I don't know the difference between <laughs> Mexico and Brazil? I hope not. Yeah. So I'm just gonna say I do know the difference. Well, you know, well Almodovar is not in Mexico well, this anyway. Is in Spanish. Right. No, not Al- uh, I'm sorry, Delta. Oh, oh, Delta. oh, that's you being racist. Oh, got it. That's it. See, it came out anyway. You're like, talk about Scotty when he was 11 again. <laughs> what was he, a snack? <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Damn uh, it. Yeah, no, I mean, I think there is. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I think every review called out that this like felt like some a bit like a Del Toro movie. And, and, uh, oh, good. and even though it was I'm, a, just, I'm just basic, I'm not racist. Yeah, so don't worry. Good. And, uh, and even though it is two hours and 15 minutes, which, you know, like, yeah, it for sure could have been shorter, but mm-hmm. having, you know, I, it doesn't really drag for me when I'm watching it. Like, yeah. I think it's very, and the actress who plays Clara is so remarkable, mm-hmm. like just the stillness that she has and just very haunting presence. Yeah. She's remarkable. Um, so yeah, this is a binge it for me. This is, this was, I was very surprised. I was very pleasantly surprised by how actually fully engaging this movie was. I'm going to finish it. Good. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think I'm, I like the, I'm, I'm going to. Approach finishing it with um, a binge it type attitude. Mm. I'm excited to binge on the rest of it. Lovely. Um, so it is unrated, but um, probably R for violence and sexual content. And that's it. Those are all the movies we have for you this week. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to subscribe on your podcast 
app or device. Um, Jason is on Twitter at Excess Baggage. I am at Fight Balance. Thank you so much for listening. Baggage. Bye bye. Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. You made it to the end. That's amazing. There, there goes, goes the, the binge. binge.